This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I've been really looking forward to bringing you this episode because it's one of those topics, like many of our topics, that we just don't talk about enough. But this in particular, I believe, is one that's really not discussed very much, which is tearing during the birthing process. And not just a little tear, but third and fourth degree tears, tears that take a long time to heal from and that sometimes have lifelong consequences, even how and why do these things happen. And we are going to try and understand that a little bit more today. Our guest today, Laura Fry, is coming on to talk about her personal experience, but also how her experience led her to forming support group and social media so that other moms with third and fourth degree tears have somewhere to go and have someone who understands. Laura is a wife and mother to three amazing kids. She's a former healthcare professional turned stay-at-home mom after the birth of her first son. During that birth, she suffered a fourth-degree perineal tear and in January 2015 created a Facebook support group for others who have also sustained fourth-degree tears in childbirth. The group has grown to 1,200 members from all over the world, representing six continents and 33 countries. Laura is now using the knowledge she has gained from that support group to raise awareness of severe tearing and advocate for better care by using social media and speaking at conferences. Now, we're going to be talking about some things that get a little bit graphic and some details about what can happen to the body during a fourth degree tear or third degree tear. So there's some really sensitive content in today's episode that might be hard to listen to, especially if you've had a tear, if you're still recovering from a tear, or if you've had any vaginal birth injuries. So just take that into account and come on in and listen with us if you are up for it. But if not, this episode will be here for you to listen to whenever you're ready. So let's meet Laura. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this very important topic. I don't think really many people at all talk about tearing and how it impacts your life, let alone your mental health. So I'm really interested 
to hear your story and also to help other people learn about how to better support moms going through this. Well, thank you so much for having me. And like you said, yes, it is not talked about very much. So that is what I'm hoping to accomplish is let other people who have torn hear my story and the story of others so that they don't feel as alone. That's perfect. Yeah, that is great. Well, thank you. So you are welcome to start wherever you'd like to with your story. Okay. So my name, like you said, is Laura Fry. I'm married and I have three amazing kids. My traumatic birth and my tear happened with my first child in 2012. I had planned to have like an all natural birth. My mom had really fast, easy births. She is a labor and delivery nurse. And so I just kind of assumed that my births would go like hers, that it would be really fast and easy. I delivered in a hospital with an OB. And the morning after my due date, I woke up to my water breaking and labor did not start on its own. And I was GBS positive. Mm -hmm. So I feel like when you're planning a natural birth and those things happen, you know, your water breaks, your GBS positive and labor doesn't start. All of those plans kind of go flying out the window, and that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, so I had to put on Pitocin, which actually, once they did that, my labor did pick up pretty fast. I was able to progress to pushing, but then once I started pushing, they were doing the coached pushing, even though I didn't have an epidural and after having those Pitocin contractions, <laughs> the only way I was able to do that is because it happened so fast because mm-hmm. that was intense. So yeah, with the coached pushing, it just didn't feel natural at all. And it never mm-hmm. felt right. You know, they do where they're counting to 10 and you're holding your breath and then you take a breath and you do it again, count to 10. And it didn't go with the urges that I was feeling to push. So I did that for three and a half hours. I was in all kinds of different positions trying to push and he just was not coming. And I was exhausted. You know, I hadn't eaten in a while. So the doctor came in and said, I know you don't want to have a C-section, which at that point, honestly, if she would have come in and said, we need to give you a C-section, I would have been like, okay. Uh (laughs) Um, You know, because you're just exhausted and you're, not really in your normal mindset, I feel, right. once you're kind of in labor there. Yeah. So she said, I know you don't want to have a C-section, but I think we need to do something. Why don't we do a vacuum? And so I said, that's fine. So she did the vacuum and she also gave me an episiotomy, mm-hmm. which I guess a lot of doctors just assume that they go hand in hand, that you do a vacuum and you also do an episiotomy. But she didn't specifically say to me that she was going to do an episiotomy with the vacuum. And I didn't even find out that I had the episiotomy until I was pregnant with my second son. Oh, my Uh, gosh. I know. And I mean, looking back, like, okay, I understand it's part of, you know, the procedure of a vacuum. But to not tell me that really affected me once I did find out. Wow. Oh, my gosh. It's not surprising, but it's still shocking that doctors continue to do these types of procedures without asking permission and without giving you like the full information so you can have an informed consent about a procedure. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So when she did the episiotomy and then the vacuum, he did come right out, you know, with one contraction. 
But then I did end up tearing the rest of the way whenever she did pull him out so that I tore to the fourth degree, which is the farthest that you can tear. Oh, and just a little side note here. What I'm going to talk about, it's kind of TMI for some people. So yeah, I mean, whenever you tear all the way, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. I think it's important to do the TMI. I mean, I think in part, you know, you being able to come on and talk about this from personal perspective gives us some really good insight. But also, I think not a lot of people understand what tearing means and what even fourth degree means. Right. Yeah, so a fourth degree tear is where you tear all the way from your vagina through your perineum, which is the skin between your vagina and your anus. And you tear the muscles of your perineum, and then you tear all the way into your anal sphincter muscles and into your rectum itself. So you tear all the way through from your vagina to your rectum. And so the repair for that is pretty intense. Some people have to go to an operating room. Some get put under general anesthesia. I was very lucky that I had a very experienced OB, and she was able to stitch me up right there in my delivery room. But yeah, I know that some others have more intense repairs. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Right. So this is at this point a major procedure to get the rectum back sewn up and in place and then your perineum and then your vagina as well. Yes, it is. I think when those of us who are, you know, willing to talk about it and open up to some people and say, you know, yeah, I had a severe tear or, you know, a third or fourth degree tear, 
people are like, oh yeah, I tore two. You know, I had, you know, five stitches or 10 stitches. And I am not trying to minimize those experiences at all. Right. But I think some people don't understand how intense this really is and to the extent that the repair is and the recovery. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I realize you're saying that this is a little bit TMI, but really, I mean, this is part of how we learn and understand and can really support people because as you said, I'm sure your experience is minimized and has been minimized by people who unknowingly, who didn't really understand what that meant. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So my recovery, it was painful. I had to do a lot of sitting around for the first several weeks. I was able to take really short walks here and there. But even, I mean, just sitting on your bottom is uncomfortable. You have to like sit on a boppy pillow. Some people, you know, they have to nurse laying down instead of sitting. And the recovery can take months or years even. For me, it took about nine months to feel completely back to normal, which Mm -hmm. that sounds like a really long time. But actually, in comparison to some, that's actually pretty fast that I was Mm -hmm. able to feel completely normal. Mm -hmm. Um, some women will never feel completely normal. And shockingly, I feel like mentally I did pretty well after his birth. Your son was born okay? He was okay? Yes, he was totally fine. He did have like a contusion on his head from where the vacuum was, but it healed fine. It was just kind of like a bruise that it took maybe a month to go away and he has no, no effects from that at all. So yes, mentally I did pretty well, I think. I had a really good support system. My mom, like I said before, is a labor and delivery nurse, and she came here to visit for the birth, and she was here for about three weeks, so I basically had like a live-in nurse with me. Great. (laughs) Yeah. I had my husband. I also had my in-laws who lived just right down the road from us. Mm -hmm. So I think that that support, you know, played a big factor in my emotional well-being after. And another thing that I think really helped me emotionally after was I almost obsessively (laughs) focused on my next birth experience. I wanted to have a, like a redo. I wanted to have another chance to do things completely different. I felt like, you know, with my water breaking and having to have the Pitocin that although my water breaking is out of my control, but I was just hoping that that was not going to be the case again and that I could do things a lot differently. So I spent a lot of my focus and, you know, researching on my next birth. And I think that kind of made me not think about the negative, if that makes sense of that birth, because I just put so much attention on the next one. Um, So luckily I did go on to have two amazing births. I chose to have home births with a midwife for my next two. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, they went really well. I don't have the quote in front of me, and I wish I did, but I read a Facebook comment by someone who said people who choose like a C-section for their next birth after having a traumatic birth are very similar to someone who chooses to have a home birth or even an unassisted birth because they're just trying to avoid having that same trauma again. And that to some people, you know, if I had chosen to have a C-section, they would say, oh, you know, why are you having a C-section just because you tore? 
And if I also said to someone that I was having a home birth, you know, they would be like, oh, wow. Um, And they would be really surprised at Mm -hmm. that as well. And so reading that really helped me, you know, hearing the words, either way, you're just trying to prevent the same trauma from happening again. Right. Just really opened my eyes and also helped me to have more respect for women who also go the C-section route. Mm -hmm. Um, Sure. You know, because I kind of did the total opposite. (laughs) Yeah, just comparing the two, it really opened my eyes and, you know, let me see their way of thinking even better. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, just your whole process afterwards of kind of pouring yourself into your next experience to try and, I'm assuming, to try and cope or at least not kind of sit in the pain, emotional pain or physical pain maybe even of what you had gone through already just to try and change it to be something different. And that's one way of kind of regaining that control is home birth as an option. It makes sense. Right. Yeah. So after your first birth and you're in preparation for your next birth, and I think you said you had two births after that. I'm curious for you anyways, what are the risks to having a vaginal delivery after a fourth degree tear? Yes. So someone who's already had a severe tear, either a third or a fourth degree, you are at a higher risk of having another severe tear compared to other people who have not already had a severe tear. The research is it's kind of inconsistent, but one study that comes to mind, I think, says your risk goes from about like 2% up to I think it was like around maybe 10%. It said you had about a five times more chance of having another severe tear. And if you do, you know, if you have even with one severe tear, you have the risk of, you know, living with fecal incontinence, not being able to control your bowels, Mm -hmm. not being able to control like your gas, painful sex, obstetric fistulas, which is basically where you have a tunnel that's created between your vagina and your rectum. So things can pass through, like you could have stool Mm -hmm. that then comes from your vagina. So there certainly are risks, definitely. And I'll talk about our support group later, but in our group, we have about 50% of people choose a C-section for their next birth. So it's about 50-50 of choosing C-section or vaginal, which obviously that's, you know, a pretty high number, you know, 50% choosing a C-section the next time. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, there certainly are risks. To me, I personally just felt like the risk was worth it for my emotional state. And I tell people that, you know, it's not just a physical choice, you know, yes, there are going to be risks physically, but how do you feel about it also emotionally? Some people would never, ever consider having another vaginal birth and said, there's no way I could go through that again. Mm -hmm. And that's completely understandable. And there are others like me who say, I need another chance. I need to like prove to myself Mm -hmm. that I can have, you know, a normal vaginal birth. And Yeah, I was one of the lucky ones because there are unfortunately some people who have more than one, you know, severe tear. Sure. Well, right. But I'm also thinking just in terms of your situation specifically, at least I'm making an assumption now or a couple of assumptions that of like what led to a fourth degree tear. And there were a couple of things you mentioned, like not 
birthing with the rhythm of your body. Mm-hmm. And then also, I don't know what was going on in terms of like needing a vacuum and all of that stuff, but there were some things that just weren't kind of rhythmic. It was outside forces or outside factors. Is that an actual, maybe not causal, but is that more likely to create a fourth degree tear? Absolutely. Yes. That's why I chose the home birth route is because I wanted to try to, you know, minimize all of the other factors that I felt led to my fourth degree tear, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the coach pushing the vacuum. Yeah. I just wanted to try to minimize as many interventions as I could to hopefully not have another severe tear, Mm -hmm. which I was able to do. Right. I'm so glad for you. I mean, it's so nice to be able to reclaim that for yourself and yourself and your family almost too, you know? Right. Exactly. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, in terms of your story, a couple of things that potentially led to the fourth degree tear happening. Are there some other things that are, you know, at least relatively common for people who experience the third or fourth degree tears? Other things that contribute to that? Yeah. From some of the research that I've done about it, some studies say that first time moms are at a higher risk than moms who have already had vaginal deliveries. And that actually includes like women who are maybe trying for a VBAC. Mm-hmm. They would kind of be clumped in that they would be like a first time mom, you know, okay. because it's their first vaginal birth assisted deliveries, which would be like having to need a vacuum or mm-hmm. forceps. A midline episiotomy can increase your tear. And the baby having a large head circumference can increase the risk. And I think in one study, it said that older women are at an increased risk. Oh, that's um, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have assumed that. Okay, right. So again, these things aren't necessarily going to cause this every time. But it just increases the risk of this happening. Right. Okay into your own story. I think you said that you felt like you were doing pretty good mentally. Right. I didn't have a question about kind of for you realizing that this was a traumatic. Did you have any moment where you realized that you had gone through something traumatizing or was it traumatizing for you? Yeah, it was actually after my first home birth. So my second birth, having that comparison, something that was, you know, an amazing experience and an amazing birth, I realized, wow, that first one was awful. (laughs) And it was after his birth that I started, you know, looking into birth trauma, like support groups on Facebook Mm -hmm. and started looking into, yeah, researching birth trauma and realized, oh, that is what I experienced the first time. Because when it happens with your first birth, you don't have anything else to, you know, compare it to it. Right. You expect that that's just what everyone goes through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, right. This is such a stark contrast. It sounds like in your second birth, you had more of what you wanted. It was more at your pace. You know, you put in place all of these things to support having the kind of birth that you wanted. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It makes sense to to then be able to look back on everything you experienced and see how different it was. I guess at any point in your process, you know, not everybody feels depressed or anxious after these types of situations. Did you experience anything like that or were you able to kind of move through this without depression or anxiety? Looking back, you know, after that first birth, the only thing that really stands out to me is that I remember I was with another friend who I think when my first was born, she just had her second. And I remember asking her, 
when will I stop worrying that something terrible is going to happen to him? That when I'm walking by the stairs that I'll accidentally drop him over or just that there will be some terrible accident that will really hurt him or, you know, kill him basically. And her reaction to that, I was like, okay, well maybe that's not normal. (laughs) Mm. So yeah, that's the only thing that really sticks out is just that worry and that fear um, that something was going to happen to him. Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of people can identify with that. That kind of worry comes with situations where we feel out of control. It kind of calls into question, you know, our control over stuff. Um, right. Brings in some of that, what I would call anxiety, but just might be like hypervigilance, you know? Right, right. That makes sense. So it sounds like then after your second birth, that's when you started looking into support groups. And at what point did you start offering support and doing what you do now? How did that evolve? Yeah, so a few months after my second son was born, I was looking around for a support group specifically for tearing. And there was one very small group online that had a few members that it just was not active at all. And I knew that there had to be other people out there who had gone through what I did and were probably looking for support. So I decided to create a group on Facebook, and that was... January of 2015, so about two and a half years after my first son was born, and we grew very slowly. Over the next three years, we grew to about 300, which was pretty good, but then in early 2018, we had an article by Scary Mommy, which is the online blog that they have like millions of followers they did an article about fourth degree tears and just the experiences we had. Mm-hmm. And that article brought, they included a link to our support group and that bumped us up to in like three months, we had a thousand members. Right, um, right. Yeah, <laughs> so okay. yeah, it grew really fast, which was amazing. There would be women who say, you know, my tear happened 15 years ago and I've never talked to anyone about it before mm-hmm. or, I didn't realize there were other people, you know, who were going through this. I thought I was the only one because people just aren't talking about it. Yeah, because there's a lot of just kind of shame and embarrassment about some of the symptoms that we deal with. Right. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where-are-my-keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) 
Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. So you had mentioned a little bit before of some of the medical like repercussions of having a tear that is that severe. And for some people it resolves and then for some people it doesn't. There are some lifelong kind of issues. Yes, absolutely. There's a very wide range. Some women can have like fecal urgency. So they just have to hurry to the bathroom. They maybe can't control their gas or, you know, all the way to they have no control over their bowels or they have to have like colostomy bags because they do not have control to, like I mentioned before, the fistulas that they would then have to have, you know, more surgeries for to repair. Yeah. So you said lifelong complications and it, for some people it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm too thinking like kind of anywhere on the spectrum of recovery from a third or fourth degree tear, depending on the stress level that is coming with that and the procedures you need and, you know, even what kind of sort of temperament of child you have, how much support you have around, it just kind of would leave you open to the higher likelihood of being depressed or anxious with that high level of stress. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you talk about like birth trauma, And a lot of times when you have the severe tear, the circumstances around the birth itself are traumatic. Like maybe the baby was in distress and, you know, needed to come out really fast and that's what caused it. So some of them could have like PTSD from the birth experience. And then if you're having all of these medical complications after, it's like those are just triggers and reminders, you know, every day of Mm -hmm. that trauma that you experience. So, right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's a lot for anyone to go through. And now you have support for moms there in the Facebook support group. And you also have a blog. Yes. Around the time that the Scary Mommy article came out, she only had maybe like 800 words to write. And we realized that we could easily take 800 words to tell our own stories. Sure. So, yeah, people started submitting their full birth stories, mm-hmm. and so we put it on the blog, and we have quite a few of those on there. And then, yeah, a couple of articles just about maybe things that we wish our care providers would know. Yes, yes, let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> what are some things you wish care providers would know or do? Yeah, We just find that the care is so inconsistent within the group. Some women are sent straight to physical therapy. Some women are never offered at all. Some are sent to specialists like colorectal surgeons or your gynecologist. Some are not. And then obviously there's the emotional side of it and how you're treated. Some of us are treated like we just had a normal delivery and, you know, all of the other stuff is ignored. I mean, it's just how you're treated during the birth experience, Mm -hmm. you know, really affects 
how you feel about it after. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think across the board, absolutely. Providers could be doing a better job of that. But specifically when there's an injury, like a a really significant injury there, just some softness would go a long way. Right. Absolutely. Right. So in what you've heard from other moms and, you know, just in your own experience or from wherever, are there things that other people can be doing, not just healthcare providers, but just we as supporters or friends or family or whoever can be doing a better job of too? Yeah. I mean, I feel like with everyone, well, all moms, but especially those who have, you know, some sort of physically traumatic birth, just being there more for them for support after. I was very lucky to have support. And I know a lot of moms are not, you know, if it's taking care of older kids or meals or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. just having that support after. Because when you have a physical injury, you know, Mm -hmm. you really need to rest as much as possible for your long-term healing. And I would say to try to avoid comparisons, Mm -hmm. making comments like, well, at least you didn't have a C-section or most of those comments are coming from a good place and trying to make you feel better. But a lot of times they just don't like the people who say, Oh yeah, I tore too, you know, just trying to relate to you, but you know, they just do not understand. Uh, right. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Which is why it's so important to have the group that you have now where people really do get it. Right. Um, absolutely. Because it's one of those experiences where if, if you haven't gone through it, I'm sure it's hard to imagine what it's actually like. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So what have you seen in terms of, you know, healing and recovery and kind of like hopeful messages for people who are out there and healing from this right now? What have you seen in terms of, you know, people being able to heal and get back to their life? Yeah. So like I said, it can be a very wide range of how people heal. So no matter what, those first few weeks are going to be awful. Mm. (laughs) So You know, if you are in those first few weeks or months and you're still feeling awful, that doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, a lifelong thing. Like I said, I took nine months to heal and I am one of the lucky ones that is doing well now a few years later. So, yeah, there certainly is hope that things will get better. I would say to them to speak up about what you're going through. If you have concerns that, you know, talk to your doctor as soon as possible, because the sooner things are addressed, then the better your long term will be, you know, try to get into physical therapy as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. See specialists like urogynecologists or colorectal surgeons, because they sometimes are better at picking up on things like fistulas than OBs are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there definitely is hope that things can get better. Yeah. 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 And well, thank you for that. And also I'm going to point people to the Facebook page. I'm assuming this is a closed Facebook page just for people who've experienced this. Yeah. So there's the Facebook group is the closed support group um, that yes is only for us. And we do have like a public Facebook page that's separate. Okay, great. So all of that, the Facebook page is mothers with fourth degree tears. Correct. That's also Instagram. Twitter, mothers with four D. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then your blog can be found on mothers with fourth degree tears at wordpress.com. Right. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Laura, for sharing this with us and really teaching us to think more deeply about what it is that a mom might be going through with a third or fourth degree tear and how we can support her better. Yes. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for being willing to talk about this so that other moms do not feel alone anymore. Absolutely. Thank you again, Laura, for coming on and talking about your experience, giving us some really good information so that we can better understand what goes on for a mom dealing with a severe tear and how to support her better, how we can all just be supporting moms who are having these types of injuries in a more thoughtful way. If you guys would like to get connected to Laura and her group, you can go to the Facebook page, Mothers with Fourth Degree Tears, or you can find her on Instagram at Mothers with Fourth Degree Tears. She's also on Twitter, Mothers with Four DTs. As usual, please do share this with anyone who you think might benefit from this information and or send it to healthcare providers who might benefit from this information. Once we can really slow down and understand what the mother's experience is like, we can affect so much change if we are treating them with the compassion and the care that they deserve, not only for them and their recovery, but also potentially for the early life of their child. Having a mom who's well taken care of also means that she's able to be more present in her family. If this is your first time joining us on the Mom in Mind podcast, please come find us. Subscribe really wherever you listen to podcasts. We're kind of everywhere at this point and share away. You can connect with us on our Facebook page at Mom in Mind or on Instagram at Mom in Mind. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.